the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, a tragic weekend of shootings across the country. We're going to reflect upon that. And then when do we know when we should address things, current events from the pulpit? Heroism in the California church shooting and later all ministry matters. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, Aubrey, before we get a lot of heavy stuff from this weekend, before we get into that, I do like to just ask, how was your weekend? How are you doing? It's beautiful outside. Yeah, my weekend was fantastic. I actually, I spoke at a conference all weekend in a little town called Mostyn, Wisconsin, town of 4,000 people. You've been there? I have been there. Wow. So I spoke at, um, I spoke at a women's conference Friday night, Saturday night, and then I preached at a little church there on Saturday morning for two services. And it was a wonderful weekend. I actually want to talk about that church later on in the show today because it was such a, such just a beautiful little church. I want to have a conversation about that, but it was a great weekend. I missed my family. I'm glad to be back. Um, but it was great. What about you? How was your weekend? Your daughter graduated, right? Or she, or she finished. She finished. She finished, but this is graduation week. So Friday. But it's everything. Prom on Wednesday, graduation on Friday, but she doesn't go to school anymore. So mm. it's, uh, yeah, this is uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, reminiscing this week, Aubrey. Mm. So it is going to be graduation weekend, which we're super thrilled for. Yes. And she is holding it over the heads of our younger two because they're in school for like <laughs> another month or like another oh, three oh, weeks. So. Uh, yeah, it is there. It's just one thing after another, right? They put prom and, and graduation all in one week. But yeah, I was gone this weekend with my son for a baseball tournament, which was a lot of fun. He has a couple of these through the summer where it's like you literally go away. So, you know, you you want to take that opportunity with your yeah, kids. But it was yeah. my daughter, my younger daughter's birthday party, my wife's birthday. What? Like that's this time oh, of year for us. So You have such a crazy May. That's right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it wow. was good. And, and now the weather, it's no longer summer. It's no longer winter. We actually have a little bit of spring so uh we will enjoy that well we're glad that you're with us today and as i i teased out a little bit aubrey uh just a heavy weekend of gun violence gun violence across the country highlighted and by the shooting at the grocery store in buffalo new york Mm. Uh, i believe i'm doing this from memory but i believe there were at last i saw there were 10 fatalities Mm. uh a couple injuries it was just um An 18-year-old opened fire randomly in the the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now they've uncovered a lot where this was rooted in some ugly, ugly racism, ugly um, conspiracy theory beliefs, ugly uh, manifesto, uh, which by no means makes the tragedy worse. I do think it adds a context that is scary. Yeah. but yeah. but I want to start just with the tragedy of it all. In Buffalo, there was another shooting at a church yesterday in K- 
California. You were telling me right before we got on air something happened in Houston. Yeah, not to mention the normal at a flea market in Houston, right? Yeah, not to mention the normal gun violence that happens when it gets warm out in cities like Chicago and mm-hmm. other places. Yeah, Aubrey, you read these things and you try not to become numb to them, but they really are pretty uh, dark and overwhelming. They're dark and overwhelming and um, scary. And then I think the fact that uh, at, at the the like you were saying the Buffalo shooting and then the fact that this church was a mostly asian american church like i think just the racism behind it all too it just makes everything especially evil and um again i mean i kind of like i feel like especially lately i feel like i keep repeating this phrase but like we have to i don't know we have to be lamenting communally and collectively and not grow numb to it like it's hard it's hard you said it's so hard but we have got to just uh be in it with communities that are hurting right now because at the end of the day right now the asian american community everywhere is feeling this the black community everywhere is feeling this Mm -hmm. and so we just can't just because it's not happening in our neighborhoods doesn't mean it's not happening to like our brothers and sisters around the world and i think the church i mean i'm not saying one is better than the other but i think as christians these church shootings when we hear about them are so shocking and so startling that um i i mean again who our friend who came on who was like we uh, i can't remember her name brian but like mm. when thoughts and prayers aren't enough yes, yes. Like i forget her name is but yes thoughts and prayers yes but then also like let's be writing to our set uh, wherever you stand let's be writing to our government leaders let's be praying to the lord let's be asking for an end to gun violence yeah yeah and uh that's that is that weighs heavy at a time like that this for sure i've seen some twitter accounts where they are trying to do the work of like telling the stories of all the individuals specifically Mm. at the buffalo shooting wow and it's just heartbreaking there was one woman she was in her low young 70s i think low 70s and she ran a food pantry for like the last 25 years and there was another young woman who was watching she was in town not even from buffalo she's from syracuse she was in town to help her brother through his cancer Mm. treatments and she was just Mm -mm. at the grocery Mm -mm. store because she was Mm -mm. gonna make their family a nice dinner like once you read the the security guard who tried to stop the shooting was a retired police officer who if i read correctly uh he was just bored in retirement and decided to become a security guard at this grocery store and everybody in town who went to this grocery store knew him because he was Mm. He was the security guard. And so mm. we, it, those are hard stories, but those do help personalize it. And absolutely, uh, you know, because we don't want to grow numb to this, yeah. Aubrey. And, yeah. um, you know, when your kid, maybe they have, maybe they have it. When your kids see things like this, uh, yeah. what, what do you say? What do we as Christian parents say to our kids? What do we even say to ourselves as the level of evil in this is just so right before our eyes? You know, I I remember um, Ed Setzer posted something when it was it was maybe early COVID, Brian. I, time it's been a time warp, right? <laughs> yes, so I yes. don't know. Yes. But um, there were students that were doing walkouts because of school shootings, mm. and he said something like, "There were a lot of people that were against that and were angry at the students." And he said, "Can we just remember that students are literally just asking to go to school and not die?" And so I do think for our kids, in one sense, this is like you and I have talked about the fact that before our our kids do active shooting drills. And so in one sense, this kind of thing is, quote unquote, normal, even though it's not. But it, you know, it's part of their vernacular. It's part of 
what they understand about the world, whether or not they've had to experience it or not. That's a whole different thing. So I, I guess what I, even for our kids, we have to make sure they don't grow numb to it and also remind them like, we still have a God who's in control. And even though when you hear stories like this, you're like, Lord, how could you let this happen? God, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. were you? I, this goes back to my passion for lament and lament mm-hmm. as a church. Like I, we're invited to ask God those questions and we need to ask God those questions or else what we're going to do is grow numb or we're yeah. going to grow weary yeah. or we're going to walk away from God in doubt. And instead we have to lean in like, Lord, I I don't know. I, this doesn't make sense to me. Remind me mm-hmm. that you're on the throne and doing what you're doing. I think we have to teach our kids. We have to disciple our kids to do that yeah. even as we do it, right? Even as we wrestle. It's so hard because like you said, you you want to point to hope. You want to point to him still being on the throne. But then you also read these things about the people who died and you're like, this is just heartbreaking. So, yes, uh, thoughts and prayers do matter. Be praying. But Mm -hmm. let's let's do the work we need to do. And, you know, we're going to touch a little bit on this after the break, Aubrey. But I would also encourage people um, the ideology of this shooter in Buffalo is this is not there are people who believe this stuff replacement theory and all of these other things that uh led to this and we yeah. need to be standing up against some of this hateful rhetoric yes th- that killed people this weekend like obviously this deranged 18 year old killed people but his ideology was being fueled he wrote about it we know what he yeah. believed yeah. and uh we need to be wrestling with that confronting that standing up against these things like you know if you don't know what replacement theory is go google it it's uh it's a scary deal that can lead to some bad places including this shooting in buffalo this week uh aubrey uh and i talked if you missed the beginning of our show we kind of reflected upon particularly the shooting in buffalo but the multiple shootings that happen across the country this weekend but aubrey i want to hone in uh to the shooting in buffalo Uh, A lot of what was behind it, we already talked about this kind of uh, the manifesto that this 18-year-old shooter wrote about, right? Replacement theory, uh, just the the dark racism that was kind of really fueled who this this young man was and what he did. But uh, let me ask you a question, Aubrey, that I saw going around Twitter. This happens on Saturday, right? Like this event happens on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, most pastors... You know, you've got your Sunday morning planned. You're ready mm-hmm. to roll. Mm-hmm. And I watched a dialogue going on on Twitter of people say, well, let me just read some tweets. Be people wrestling with what should you do? So Derwin okay. Gray, uh, friend of yours, he's been yep. on our show multiple times, yep. r- recently came out with a book um, about, I think it's called Healing the Racial Divide. Mm-hmm. He is pastor He was of on Big Good Morning Church. America today. He was. He uh, Big church, ex-NFL player, big yep. church out yep. in South Carolina. And so Derwin wrote this on Twitter. So I'm just going to read you three separate tweets from three separate people. Uh, Derwin wrote, pastors, you must, and he uh, capitalized the word must, pastors, you must address this great evil this morning. So obviously he wrote this on Sunday, please. And then he retweeted a quote. This was a quote tweet to this, the article that said a teenage gunman entranced by a white supremacist ideology known as replacement theory, opened fire at a supermarket in Buffalo, methodically shooting and killing 10 people. 
Another person, another pastor by the name of Tyler Burns wrote this on Twitter. A key factor in the preservation of white supremacist violence is that on days like today, little is disrupted in white evangelical churches or theological construction. It's just a, quote, heartbreaking moment rather than evidence of corrosive evil hiding in plain sight. So he's saying this needs to be talked about in church yesterday. Then another pastor named Dale Huntington just this morning, he wrote this. He said, I'm going to be real here. I had my phone off Saturday and polished my sermon Sunday morning. It's rough to read so many tweets that say, if you don't mention white supremacy in your sermon, you failed your flock. And then he said, I can't live up to those expectations. And obviously lots of replies to all of these tweets. But Aubrey, it really got me thinking as pastors, how do you discern when to uh, guys, we're going to pause what we had planned today, and we're going to talk about this yeah, yeah. because you could do it every week. Certainly. You could. There's no handbook for it. Yeah. Some people feel strongly about this, and now the Buffalo stuff is is tragic. But but I'm trying to talk about more generically. Some people feel strongly about this. So when this happens in the news, yeah. I want to you know talk about this political thing. I want to talk yeah. about vaccines. I want to talk yeah. about racism. Right. I want right. to talk about. Uh, critical race theory or abortion, right? Last week with abortion. How should or do we as pastors navigate what we saw going on on Twitter Saturday Mm -hmm. night, Sunday morning? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have like a like a one, two, three, do this. But I I do think if you think about different expressions of the church. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Brian, you know, you know this. I've said it repetitively. We're a multi-ethnic church. So anytime Mm -hmm. there's an act of racial violence in our nation, especially if it happens on a Saturday night, we're going to talk about it Sunday morning, period. Okay, and we, what does we that actually, look like? What does talk about it look yeah, like? Yeah, well, let me let me tell you where we how we learned this. Okay. So, so we're in COVID, we were online only for a time. George Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. We recorded our sermon on a Wednesday that week for Sunday morning. Floyd was murdered later that week. So we did not say anything. Okay, because we had pre-recorded it and we thought, well, we pre-recorded, you know, we just, I guess, kind of in our privilege, we weren't really honoring it. And it really hurt people in our church, especially Uh black members of our church. And so from that point on, we were like, okay, we have to do better. Like, even if we've pre-recorded, take five minutes and go and do an addendum to the recording. So here's what we do. We would not necessarily change the whole sermon, Mm -hmm. but before the sermon pause and acknowledge this thing happened, let's stop collectively, communally as a church, let's lament together, let's cry out to God together, let's name evil, because things that are evil must be named in order to experience healing from them, and then go on to your quote-unquote regularly scheduled program. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Now, someone like Derwin Gray may already have a sermon in the bag and can like redo his whole sermon based on that. (laughs) That's awesome. More power to him. But again, different expressions of the church, like that really is important for our church, Renewal Church, because of our expression. You might be in a church where like you've had a lot of women who are post-abortive, are in a lot of pain. And so what you're going to do is when there's abortion news, you're going to really minister to them. You know what I'm saying? So I think I'm not saying only say if your church is this only thing, but Mm -hmm. I think that is one lens by which we can use our discernment. Yeah, that's good. So let me just keep pushing on because I I think you put that really well for Renewal Church because you are, you know, it's in your uh, on your website, in your DNA, all of that stuff that we do issues uh, 
do current, uh, let me not even use issues, current events, because I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Something that happens on a Friday, something right. happens on a Saturday. Right. Do current events for you that that are steeped in race rise above, like, let's say there's a na- there's a natural disaster. There's mm-hmm. a leaked the abortion stuff. Let's say Roe yeah. versus Wade gets overturned on a Saturday morning right, or a Friday right. night right. or the the war in the Ukraine breaks out on a Saturday, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. else it might be. Does that change or are you like, you know what? It, there, It's more about how big the event is. Mm-hmm. And how much people are talking about it? How does how do you and Kevin and your staff wrestle with that? Yeah, I mean, we did. You know, we did do a big a big Ukraine mm-hmm. like moment to lament and acknowledge and, and raise support for Ukraine right yeah. after that happened. Um, so I, I I don't know that we have a hard line, Brian, one okay. way or the other, or like a yes or no. But I do think if it's relevant and it happens Saturday night. That that really like the onus probably is on the pastor. To ha- like, you know, if there's been like a major, you know, like I, I'm thinking back to 9-11, like if oh, that happened sure. on a yeah. Saturday, you're not going to ignore that on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, like you just wouldn't. That would just be like heartless and tone deaf. And um, so maybe some of it is the, the nature of the event. Like you're not necessarily going to talk about like every tragic thing that's happened everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think if it particularly hits home to the hearts of the people you're serving and shepherding, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I, do you think, Brian? I mean, I, what do you I guys wrestle do? with this one because because um, sometimes I undersell, I think, sometimes our role as pastors. Like, it's interesting to hear you say your people, some people in your church were hurt because you guys didn't say something. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I shy away, I think, too quickly from weighing in on current events, uh, which probably surprises people because that's all you and I do on a radio show. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but I've probably blown past some things that I mm. shouldn't just going, OK, nope, I got my sermon like we're in the book. Um, I do think especially I think you said it well. I think if it is centered around now let's lament and pray let's pray for this as opposed to let me tell you what you guys should be thinking yeah yeah hey i'm a pastor i have a pulpit let me tell you my opinion on x y or z that just happened because i don't right right i don't think that's proper use of the pulpit but i do like the way you framed it hey friends guys this happened and even if there's not even if we don't know all the news right now, that is such a tragedy or that's such a heartbreak or let's pray about this. Let's I think that I think you frame that well. And then something I think that you you and Kevin have a track record of right now is something D.A. Horton, who we've also had on the show. He replied to that last one where the guy's like, I don't I'm I'm weary. Like, I don't know what to do. Right. I think he said, I can't live up to these expectations. Yeah. D.A. Horton said, uh, he knows him, obviously. He says, bro, saying a brief word about a social crisis from a pulpit is light work. Doing what you do day in and day out basis for years, that's the real work. I'll bet for you any day. Rest well tonight, Pastor. Your labor is not in vain. He's basically like, you got a track record. Well, that was an encouraging way to say it, too. Like, it's almost like, dude, say something. But also, like, he's encouraging him. I appreciate that. Exactly. Exactly. So I I thought I'd, I'm glad we talked about about this because I think it's a window into uh, one of the struggles that people probably don't think about for people who get up yeah, and speak on a Sunday yeah. morning. Like, should I say something? Right. That was a big deal to me. I don't know if it's a big deal. I think that's right. helpful. And I think, uh, yeah, it's something worth wrestling. Well, the one thing, and I'll close with this, the one thing I don't appreciate, and this is a Twitter thing often, is the people going, if pastor doesn't talk about X tomorrow, leave that church. 
Like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. And that happens a lot. You'll How see about that a lot. Instead, like send an email to your pastor and ask him. Like that ask would be, maybe be a better, a yeah, better why solution. Why did you talk yeah, about yeah, that? So yeah. Anyway, that that was helpful. All right, Aubrey. At the Gospel Coalition, Douglas Sweeney asks this question: Can evangelicals be bothered? to pray and he starts mm. with just i just want to read the first line because okay. it's uh it's pretty damning it's pretty crazy and i just want oh, you to think do you think he's right and how would you answer this question he starts by saying it's shameful but true christians have long struggled to exercise their most astounding privilege permission to approach the throne of grace and talk mm. to god communicating with the one who makes the rule makes and rules the world who creates and redeems who loves with an everlasting love that has overcome the power of sin death and the devil though such a privilege takes our breath away when rightly understood it is all too often neglected taken for granted and performed as if what we profess about god isn't true drop the mic (laughs) like cut to the heart but he makes a wonderful point here and i want to not just talk about this pastorally be like oh people don't do this i want to talk about this personally if we believe that prayer is literally book of hebrews entering into the throne room of god Mm. why do so many of us Mm. struggle to pray I know you I, don't, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you hear is my silence is like, I, I mean, posed like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, yeah. I think one, we, I, I mean, I guess I'm speaking anecdotally from my own life. I don't know that we understand the power of prayer. I don't mm. know that we understand the invitation, the mystery of prayer. I don't know that many of us have there are a lot of people actually who are prayer warriors and intercessors and they have seen God move powerfully and that it's like prayer begets prayer then, right? Because they're like, Oh, I've Mm. seen that prayer is effective. Mm -hmm. I've seen that God works. I've seen. And so they've got like, the proof is in the pudding, man, you're going to pray. And then that would move you to pray more. But I think enough people have felt like they've prayed and God has not answered. They've prayed and felt like they're praying to the ceiling fan. They've prayed Mm. and just wondered, is this, I don't know. What's the point. And then I think sometimes, you know, us professional Christians, don't teach people how to pray in a way that's like simple and easy and and so like have we discipled people to even know how to pray and why to pray Mm. and then in my own life i mean let's be honest (laughs) we get busy we watch netflix oh we need to empty the dishwasher like i mean i'm just thinking of all the things that get in the way of of praying i know you said you like to pray just going on walks and so i think maybe that's the other part too is like can we learn to pray when we're driving in our car, when we're going mm. on walks, when we are emptying the dishwasher, when we're doing things we're already doing. Because sometimes I think we have this idea that we need to like separate our time mm. into our spiritual time and our like regular time, ordinary time. Anyway, I'm, I'm just throwing things against the wall. Any of that stick with why we don't yeah, pray? It's, it's the old pray without ceasing, right? Pray continually. Mm. Uh, just listen to these stats and I'll tell you some of my thoughts. Uh, He says, according to a survey by the Pew Research Center, fewer than half of U.S. adults pray daily. And this number has fallen precipitously in the past 15 years from 58 percent of respondents in 2007 to 45 uh, percent this year. Moreover, Crossway reports that only two percent of poll respondents are, quote, very satisfied with their prayer lives. A much larger percentage spoke of moderate to low satisfaction. Hmm. Surely this has a great deal to do with our lack of understanding about the nature of prayer. 
recent survey of American adults by Barna showed that 20% believe God carries out his will apart from prayer. 14% don't know or if he responds to prayer. I think you got on it before. I don't I do think part of this is busyness. Part of this is out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Uh, part of this is I've never really been a prayer like all of that. Yeah. I do think there is this in the back of all of our minds. Does it really matter? Yeah. yeah. Does it actually matter? Yeah. And it, you know that if we really believe that it mattered. Mm hmm. It would show it. itself. It would yeah. show you gave a perfect yeah. example. There are people who are prayer warriors. And then you said who have seen God work and yeah. prayer begets prayer. I think yeah. for a lot of us, we go, does it matter? Mm. I feel like I'm always praying the same thing. God, thanks for this food. Or I'm always asking and, and then nothing happens. And so I, I guess, oh, gosh, Aubrey, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. Oh, like, no. Okay. How do we help people, ourselves included, understand what prayer even is? Like, if we believe that that's what's at the root of this, does it actually matter? How do we help people answer those questions? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess this is like part of as if you're a church leader, if you're a ministry leader, even if you're not, even if you're just raising kids, Right. Part of it is maybe just like modeling. Here's how I pray. And look at how Jesus prayed. Mm. Look at the things that Jesus prayed for. And then um, and then I would say, second of all, like remembering that and teaching people, helping people see that prayer is a it's an invitation from God. But it actually is this like really incredible thing that we do get to we get to go to the throne room of God and like ask God whatever we yes. want and tell God whatever we want because God wants our whole hearts and God wants to carry our burdens. And that's a wild, wonderful thing that like we got to maybe raise the value of what prayer is, raise a vision for what prayer is and get people to get excited about prayer. But I'm even thinking of my own life. Like, mm -hmm. can I... Can I do that? And then can we raise up an, a new generation of people that are passionate about prayer? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's that picture of the book of Hebrews. It's the one I love that because the because the curtain's been torn, run into your heavenly father's right. throne room. I mean, that, that's right. If we ever grasp that. And that's what yeah. I think this is. I think it's a lack of just believing that that's what's going on. We all yeah. know people, like you said, who fully believe that and fully live that way. Right, totally. But when, but when we think about that verse, pray without ceasing or pray continually, you know, you're as a kid, you're always like, what? That's like, boring. I'm just supposed... yeah, I don't that, right. But it's this, it's this continual conversation that mm -hmm. says, my heavenly father wants to hear from me. Mm -hmm. uh, even Jesus spent how much time while he was on this earth. But one of the things that I always love is that Jesus... Um, at his time, uh, not love, this is actually kind of a sad story, but Jesus at his time of greatest need asked his closest disciples, think about this, they're with Jesus and he asked them to pray. And what did they do? They fell asleep. They fell asleep. That's so huge. What does that tell it? us about the, about <laughs> what we as humans do and struggle? But I think in the end it's baby steps. And I want to read how he yeah. ends his article okay. here. Let's hear. This is Douglas Sweeney. He is dean of Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He says this, imagine what would happen if we inched our way closer to prayer without ceasing. Imagine if we cultivated the faith, godly discipline, and habit of communicating with God as if he really were 
with us all the time, ruling our lives and our world in the way Scripture says. Mm. Whether or not you sense it now, it's nevertheless true, as it always has been, that God blesses such costly discipleship. And then he says this. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief for Jesus' sake. And then he says, wow. amen. This amen. is one of those help our unbelief. So yes. uh, why don't we pray? Uh, inch your way. Pray a little bit more. Try a little bit more. And let's see what God does in and through the prayers. Can I say one people. practical thing? I know we're out of I time, but I just want to say one more thing. I would love you know, it. We've talked about before. I, I do. I do have a prayer journal and, and I'll write praises, thankfulness things, and then things I, I'm praying about. And actually just this morning I went through and I saw several things God has answered really remarkably. Mm. And I was like, Lord, you're doing miracles in front of me. And I don't even notice it unless I pay attention. So I think that's another simple way. Start small, start with the journal, or like you said, just start, you know, in a simple, simple way and you'll see God move. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Brian, sometimes we like chatting about our weekends. You said Mm -hmm. you were at baseball stuff with your son all weekend. Did his team do well? They did okay. So it was the it was a very big tournament down in Indianapolis and I think yeah. they they it was hard. They did great. They did well. They yeah. kind of in bracket play kind of I would say lost a game they shouldn't have lost. And Aww, then your, your weekend just ends. But it was a ton of fun. I love really for me I love watching baseball on this, but it's just about I mean Tell me 20 years from now, I won't be like, you know what? I regret taking those weekends away with my son. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, no, you will love it. And that so, you as a pastor, that. there's a lot to it. I've got to take off on that Sunday. And yeah. it's, as we talked about in the first hour, people have opinions when the pastor takes off and does these other things. But for me, you know, yeah. I, I want my son to remember, oh, yeah dad was there or I want my daughter's pick. Yep. Dad was there. And so it was, that's a long way to way. They did okay. And it was a blast. (laughs) I'm so glad you got to do that. So I was actually away from my family this weekend. I was, um, speaking, like I said earlier, speaking at a church in Wisconsin, they had a women's conference on Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night. And then Sunday morning I stayed over and preached at their church for two services. Cool. Really, really fun weekend. My husband was very gracious and taking care of the kids for the weekend so I could go away and enjoy myself. But I wanted to talk about this church, Brian, because one of the things that you and I love to to talk about is kind of the power of the small church and the mm-hmm. local church. You know, we hear a lot in the news about By news, I mean, I guess, church news. We hear a lot in Christendom about the big mega churches, the super successful pastors, and like we cheer them on. They're doing awesome things, way to go. But I think sometimes the pastors who are just faithfully living in their city, serving a small to mid-sized church kind of get like glossed over or Mm -hmm. missed over. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted to I wanted to draw some attention to this church and just talk about some of the things I saw and why it felt it felt very refreshing to me. So cool. it was in a faith Christian church in a town called Mauston, Wisconsin. <laughs> and um, the town itself is only 4,000 people. Okay? That's why it's a small town. It's a very small town. So everybody knows everybody, everybody's family. The church itself serves like uh, probably three to 400 people if it's a full, you know, a full Sunday and everyone's there and all of that stuff. So really, I mean, that's 10% of the town. Like that's some influence right there yeah. for sure. Oh, that's the, interesting. That, yeah, you do that, that interesting? math, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The church was planted by a couple 38 years ago. And here's the part that I think you'll find encouraging as a church planter. I found encouraging as a church planter. Two things. One, they just uh, got a building at their 10th year 
Okay. It was a teeny tiny room where they had three services. Okay. It wow. was like the, you walked in, you're in the sanctuary. The church offices were just behind it. It was tiny. They showed it to me. They just added on to it seven years later and now have still like a pretty small sized church comparatively to like some of the bigger churches around. But like now they have more of a sanctuary and an office and a kid's area. And, and that was at year 17. Or no, wow. no, that was. Yeah, that was at year 17. So that was very encouraging to me being a seven year old church. Like, mm. oh, it's OK that maybe we don't have a building yet. It's OK that we are where we are. And then the other thing that was really encouraging to me was that their whole family, all the kids, all the grandkids attend the church, volunteer at the church. Their son in the next four years is going to transition and transition and be the lead pastor. He's now the associate pastor. And like Friday night, it's this women's conference. But I'm telling you, the whole town was at the church. There were men <laughs> in another room watching the basketball game. There were people who weren't attending the conference, just like at a little coffee area. It was like wow. the town center almost. Yeah. And I was... I was very encouraged and very inspired by what this small church living faithfully for 38 years has created. Like, mm. it was really a beautiful thing, Brian. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know what I want to say about that. except You just want to celebrate it. I do. I just want to yeah. celebrate it. And I guess I want to encourage something we've done before is encourage, like, the small church pastors out there or the small ministry leaders out there. Like, what you're doing even though you may not be the ones invited to speak at the conferences or do this, do that. Like people may not like know your name on Twitter. <laughs> what you're doing really, really matters for the kingdom and for your city and for next generation as well. And so I, I guess, I, I don't know. I was just very inspired. I was very moved. That's great. Yeah. I, I often wonder if a lot of our stresses would go away if we could do what you just did and, and like tell their story. Like, I know we can't do this, but if we if we could go forward and look back on our church, right, and go, yeah. hey, at, there was a time we wouldn't have a building. There was a time we were just a small room, but yeah. keep going. Here's where it's heading. Yeah. I just think that would be so motivating mm -hmm. um, to just be able to go, oh, okay, I can persevere. It's the hard part yeah. is you don't know, right? Like right, you're like, right, you don't. Um, so it's still the people 38 years later, they're still, I know you're saying transition, but that's the pastor right. now. That's still the pastor now. Isn't that, a, isn't that like amazing? And you know, it's, it's this Wisconsin community, a huge hunting community, like very different than here. They have like deer heads hanging in their offices and stuff. The pastor has a picture of the big bear that he shot. Like it was really <laughs> like different than the Chicago suburbs, right. but the faithfully serving in their community for 38 years, here's how they started. They felt God called them to plant a church, but they weren't sure where. They got invited to do a Bible study in this town because there was like nothing going on. There were no church. I think there's only four churches in the town in general. So at the time, 38 years ago, nothing going on. So he and his wife would drive to that town from wherever they live, not far, and do a weekly Bible study. And from there, that group of people felt like God was calling them to plant a church. They, this husband and wife didn't even think they were going to be the church planters. They were just in it to like pray with them and soon began to realize like, oh, maybe God is calling us to do this. And now here they are 38 years later and have, there's a, there's a beautiful picture on the wall of this pastor's office of, um, his name is Paul Sherrick, by the way, but, um, he's got 
all of his kids, like 16 grandkids, all of them in ministry, faithfully following Jesus, either attending that church, attending one of their church plants, or just like faithfully serving in other churches. And it was... It was kind of the dream, honestly, Brian. Mm. Like, I think that's what all of us who are in ministry want. Let me ask you this. Yeah. You're bubbling about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear everything you're saying, and I'm like, yeah. Like, it is a super encouragement to me. You and I have talked a lot about uh, the small church, the Mm -hmm. medium church, and Mm -hmm. wanting to uh, encourage them because that's where we are. Like, that's where we are. Yeah. Why are you so blow? I've not seen you, like, you're gushing about them. I know. What was it about this particular church? That yeah. made you just be like, I, I I want exactly that. Yeah. And Kevin did remind me, like, you know, there is a reality behind what I'm seeing. Like, I saw one weekend. I saw a glimpse mm-hmm. of all of the hardship and all of the challenge and all of the pain. I don't know the ins and outs. I, You know, you get to, like, we all know, you get to know a church, you find out there are humans there. And so you sure. know there are flaws. So it wasn't that it, it's not a flawed, imperfect place. I think it was I think it was what we say a lot, the legacy that you and I want to leave. I was walking into a place that was a legacy place. Like this, this pastor and his wife are now in their late sixties. They're getting ready to retire, pass the baton to their kids and to the next generation that they've raised up as staff. And I think that to me was the, I think that's what I'm celebrating. That's what you're seeing Mm. me be bubbly about is here's a living example of somebody who wasn't about like, trying to be flashy and trying to be awesome and trying to be some of the things you see pastors trying to be right now. Instead, they served their community faithfully for Jesus for 38 years mm. and like are reaping the benefits of that. And so I, I guess I wanted to bring that up, not just to gush about that church, but just to encourage all of yes. you pastors out there, all of you leaders out there, and all of you faithful followers of Jesus out there, keep going. Like I, your life for the gospel, your life lived faithfully really, really matters, makes a difference, mm. encourages other people, and has a lasting impact you can't even begin to imagine. So, Brian, we've had a friend on the show named Matt Sorens. Many Matt times. works yes. works for World Relief. He he's really good at um he's really good at unpacking complicated issues around immigration. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say and oh, a refugee crisis? And he, we've been on the show before, or he's been on the show before, and we've just like asked him all of our questions. And he's so um, systematic and balanced in how he answers, and just knows a lot. He's very yes. informed, and so he's just precise in kind of uh, kind of how he understands these issues. And so we look to him a lot for expertise. He recently um, quoted something at the Better Samaritan at Christianity Today called, Take Another Look. What if we saw asylum seekers as our brothers and sisters? And uh, the subtitle says, Some Christians have bought the lie that the U.S. border is under evasion. Under invasion, excuse me. They could be rallying to keep out revival. Really, mm. really interesting. I, Brian, I want to read to you a couple paragraphs. So this is going to seem like a lot. I'm going to read you a couple paragraphs from okay. this article, and I want us to just have a conversation about it. So um, here's what he says. Christians who believe we have been the recipients of divine grace should be the first to want to extend help to others. Obeying Christ's command to love our neighbors as ourselves, a command that Jesus clarified in his parable of the Good Samaritan, certainly applies to vulnerable traveler of a different ethnic and religious background who is in need. And indeed, many local churches 
on both sides of the border, including some supported by World Relief that I visited personally, are caring sacrificially for asylum seekers, but plenty of other Christians, especially of my variety. This is Matt talking white evangelicals whose views on immigration are more often informed by media than by the Bible and whose media diet skews toward anti-immigrant perspectives have been deceived by the rhetoric of invasion. Uh, what, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement from Matt. What do you think about that? Uh, the first thing I would say for people who might get um, very defensive about yes. what Matt said is yep. I would say, uh, you and I have gotten to know Matt well. He's got mm-hmm. skin in the game. Yeah, he does. And he is uh, he is very measured, mm-hmm. and he calls to task both sides of the aisle. And yeah, he so does. Matt is not one of these people who just bangs against the conservatives right. or bangs against the liberals. Matt right. just cares about immigration, about yeah. um, you know the asylum seekers. Matt is dedicated his life through World Relief and uh, through he works heavily with the immigration table, all of these Mm -hmm. types of things. So I would say this before you discount somebody like Matt Sorens, because what he says makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You first have to go, well, who is this guy? Yeah. And like you said, when we have questions about immigration, he's the first person we call because he loves Jesus and he knows so much and we've never had him on and not learned. And so uh, I'd be very careful just to disregard him because it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, I would say this. Uh, there is a difference between how we treat people and what a nation should do. So mm. I would say there are legitimate uh, debates to be had about what should be happening at the border. Mm. Uh, those are legitimate political debates that, that yeah. nations need to have. Like what yeah. is right for America? What is right for America doesn't necessarily even have to line up with what you are called to do and so what Mm. i think what matt is calling us to task is you individual you christian are called to love your neighbor and love the least of these and so therefore even if you support a political position that says hey we need to be really thoughtful about how people get in we need to Mm -hmm. build a wall whatever else it might be and you justify that politically you can't use that as justification to see the person coming across the border as your enemy Wow! to see the person as less than you to see the person as not worthy of help and Mm -hmm. so what matt's wanting is to is to say hey christian you should be the first one whose heart breaks for the person who is seeking asylum Mm -hmm. even if you want to put up laws and this and that. And so I I think what Matt is saying is that all too often we as Christians, um, we allow our political views to then inform how we view people. And that can't Mm. be the case. And I think that's a challenge for each of us. Oh, that's Brian. That's so good. Such a good, good, wise word. Um, uh, Matt and he's got two co-authors, Eric Costanzo and Daniel Yang. Daniel Yang's going to be on the show next week. They have a new book out called Inalienable. How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Help Save the American Church. Here's what he says. Far from being invaders, immigrants may actually present the best hope for a revival of Christianity in the Mm. United States, bringing with them or sometimes embracing upon arrival a vibrant Christian faith that can help U.S. evangelicals recognize some of the blind spots and secretism syncretism within our own faith. As Asbury Theological Seminary President Tim Tennant observes, 
the immigration population actually presents the greatest hope for Christian renewal in North America. This group that we want to keep out is actually the group that we need most Mm. for spiritual transformation. Wow. That to me was like a pretty compelling, pretty compelling thought that perhaps if we want to see revival in our nation, it's going to come from those on the outside who have a new perspective, a fresh perspective on American Christianity and show us a a new way, a fresh way, a deep spirituality that we haven't known before. And so perhaps maybe, like you said, yes, policies, like, yes, Mm they're there we're not saying like be lawless when it comes to immigration matt sorens wouldn't say that either but perhaps in our posture we can have one of learning and welcoming and humility and see what god might be up to yeah i missiologists right the obstetrics of the world and mm-hmm. others will tell you that the place of greatest growth and revival right now is not America. Right. It right. is Christianity in third world nations yeah. in Southern hemisphere yeah. and other places. Yeah. And I think that's what Matt's getting at. Like, you know, we, we live in a, in a, we like to sometimes take the mindset that we rule at everything, but mm-hmm. uh, that's not what the missiologists are telling us right now. And yeah. I, I think Matt's bigger thing is don't let your politics determine how you view people Mm, right we've talked about this when it comes to republican and democrat things they're not your enemy that's not your enemy that you're out to defeat Uh, and Mm. when you view the asylum seeker or the immigrant or whatever Mm. the person trying to get over the border as your enemy that's going to then inform how you treat people whereas we already know how we are called to treat people so debate your policies have your policies that's one thing Right. But that doesn't then cause you allow you to be to think lesser or treat badly people who may or may not benefit from said policies. Yeah, that's good. And, and perhaps in doing that kind of keeping someone at an arm's length, we're missing out on revival that God may want to bring to our nation and to our mm-hmm. own hearts. Anyway, very interesting conversation from Matt Sorens. And as you know, at the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging, encouraging, or inspiring. Brian, do you know the name Alan Hirsch? I do. So big with the missional church. Yeah. Big pushing the ball forward of like, what does the church look like going forward? How do we live on mission? I mean, he is... He is kind of the headliner often yeah. when it comes to that conversation, whether it be at conferences or writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Hirsch, Michael Frost, yeah. those guys tend to be the headliners. Yeah, they're kind of the gurus when it comes to like missional church and, and like a, the kind of apostle driven movements, organic church, things like that. Really, really interesting. So Alan Hirsch said this on Twitter. And I thought it was a really interesting conversation, something you and I have talked about before. I thought we could dive in a little bit deep here about it. Here's what he says. You cannot build a church on consumers. They'll desert you at a moment's notice because they have no commitments beyond meeting their own needs. Jesus can take 12 disciples and build a movement to change, that changes the world. He could never have done that with consumers. Mm. Yeah, pretty strong statement coming there from Alan Hirsch. Okay, so let's talk for a minute about just this phrase, consumers. Because you and I have said this before. 
What do you think he's talking about when he says church consumers? Like, what's a church consumer? Yeah, that's a great spot to start. A church consumer is simply somebody who says, what's in it for me? What yeah. do you have for me? What can mm-hmm. I consume? So they go to a church, and there's this is not a black or white issue, right? Yeah. Like, what I'm about to say is not wrong inherently, but you go to a church, and you immediately say, what programs are here for me? Mm-hmm. What do I think of the pastor? Do they sing mm-hmm. the songs that I like? Mm-hmm. How do I feel when I leave here? What is the youth group like for my kids? So it's all about... What does this church do for me? And then what I think, um, I almost said Frost, what I think Alan Hirsch gets so right here is if you build your church on being the best at all of that stuff so that when people consume it, they're like, this is the best. You're not growing any roots deep into it so that when the other church up the road has better things to consume or yours, you go through that inevitable rough patch. You go through that bump. They're going to leave your church. And um, that's why you can't, only it you can't only think about what's going to make people happy what's going to make how Mm -hmm. can we make people stick Mm -hmm. you want to provide food you want to provide for people you want to provide uh learning and discipleship and care but that can't be you what you want to do is paint a picture of family right like you know what this church is a family and families fight families Mm -hmm. sometimes don't like each other but they love each other deeply Mm And you want to you want to center yourself around mission. Hey, we're called to do yeah. something. Yeah. And so you we might not have everything that you want in a church, mm-hmm. but you know what? We're going to do this together. And so yeah. I think his point is church commitment built around those things is going to last when it's built around your programming or mm-hmm. the coffee in your coffee shop or mm-hmm. singing a certain type of songs mm-hmm. that you your church will just continually turn over. And we see that in a lot of churches. Yeah, I mean, I, like there's no if you don't have skin in the game, then you're just going to walk out when your need isn't being met. And so the next part that he talks about is Jesus taking the 12 disciples and building a movement. He could never have done that with consumers. So obviously, Jesus, Jesus's way of discipleship looks different than what we think about as church consumption. So if church consumption is, hey, I just go to the church. It has all these awesome programs. I love their coffee. I love their music. Like you said, that's not all bad stuff. That's great stuff. But if it just stops there, that doesn't actually create like deeply rooted disciples who are living on mission. Jesus did something different, which was kind of like, hey, hey, partner with me. I'm going to equip you and then I'm going to send you on mission. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps that's the piece that we either aren't very intentional about, or maybe we are depending on your church, but we can all get better at is this piece of like creating disciples, not consumers, contributors, not consumers. And it's harder, right? It's harder to do. It's a lot easier to, all right, if I just preach the best sermon and yeah. we just have the best music and we yeah. just have the best coffee and we just have the best programming, yeah. that, that equals church growth. That's Now I can control that. Like you bring up Jesus and I think it's such an interesting thing to think about. Like he didn't stop his disciples from failing. Mm-mm. He didn't stop them from suffering. He didn't stop them from hurting and fighting and whatever else. But the the, the roots grew really deep because they were on a point. And so, you know, it is just, you know, you said earlier, there's nothing wrong with programming. There's nothing wrong with all this stuff. 
And I, you're 100% right. We've just made those things ultimate in the church. Yeah. Like, it's Ooh. primarily about programming. It's primarily yeah. about this yeah. pastor's skill or whatever else. And I, I think you and I would both say, how can we work to make it primarily about community and mission? Mm. And that those things weather storms of oh, yeah. that person annoys me. Yeah. Oh, this pastor has been off. His sermons have been off for a month. Right. Right. I don't really like that new song that we did or mm. ugh, the youth guy. He's not really killing, you know, it allows you to navigate those things. Otherwise we would all just go to the biggest church with the flashiest programming and the best right. speakers all the time. Right. I heard some pastors recently kind of laughing. They were like on their way to visit someone in the nursing home and they were like, kind of tempted to like post a picture of themselves on social media and be like, we're killing it in ministry. Like, you know, you forget <laughs> that it is like, you know, quote unquote, killing it in ministry isn't having all the bells and whistles, but it is those visiting people in the nursing home, caring for the sick, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, having that beautiful community, that family unit mm -hmm. and empowering people to live on mission. And so I think just as we kind of wrap up, okay, let's say you're listening right now and you're like, yeah, I am a church consumer. Uh, what's a word, Brian, just to maybe encourage someone to take a step a little bit deeper into Stop their church? It. Stop it. No, <laughs> Walk take... on. Stop it. I, I would say, I would look in the mirror and ask myself, what would cause me to leave this church? Mm. Why? Like, that's how you will know if you're a consumer or not. There's mm. reasons to leave churches. Yeah. But a lot of our reasons aren't great. Um, and two... I would maybe go sit down with a pastor, an assistant pastor, or the children. How yeah. can I serve here? That's what good. can I do to serve here? And what can I do to get to know people on a deep level? Like if, if yeah. the key is community and mission, yeah. then how can I grow in those rather than how can I just kind of sit in the back and consume? So it'll take a little bit of work, but I yeah. think you're going – I don't think people regret having deep roots in a church mm. community. And so I think that should ultimately be the goal. Yeah, that's good, Brian. Okay, once again, from Alan Hirsch, you cannot build a church on consumers. They'll desert you at a moment's notice because they have no commitments beyond meeting their own needs. Jesus can take 12 disciples and build a movement that changes the world. He could never do that. He could never have done that with consumers. Let's not be consumers, but let's be true disciples. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. We'll actually be back with our good friends from Food for the Poor. Mm -hmm. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 